Hello and welcome to River Talk, where we sit down with some of the Rivertown area's most interesting and notable people. Today I'm sitting down with Bree Pettis, an entrepreneur and owner of Bantam Tools. Mr. Pettis, thank you for sitting down with me. Hey, thanks for having me. We're sitting in our the former coal gasification power plant that we've turned into our offices and Looking out over the Hudson as we speak. Oh my God, what a great, probably the best view I've had for any of my podcasts so far. So let's start with Peekskill. We're, we're sitting sure. here looking out over this beautiful waterfront. Originally, you had your operations in California up until relatively recently when you decided to move to Peekskill. What prompted that decision? Lots of stuff. So. Um, Years ago, I had a company in Brooklyn doing manufacturing and, you know, the space that we were in that cost $5,000 a month now costs like $50,000 a month. So doing manufacturing in the city isn't really, it's not really made for that anymore. And Bentham Tools was in Berkeley, California, and it had been there for a while, but same thing happened in Berkeley where it wasn't really affordable to stay there either for the employees or for the business. So. I had had a place in Croton on Hudson for ages and had been coming to Peekskill Coffee House for the best coffee in the neighborhood. And basically would basically come every day to Peekskill to get coffee. And um, when it was time to find a new place for Bantam Tools, it was just really clear, okay, Peekskill is the place to be. It's a combination of beautiful, natural environment with just a, a very diverse and smart community is perfect for a company like like Bandon Tools. And it's worked out really well. We've got good relationships. There's a great robotics team in town that uh, creates great talent for our company. Yeah, life's pretty good. We're, we, we get to come here every morning, work with really great people, and make tools that empower people and give them superpowers. And and you still get to get coffee at the Peekskill Coffee House every day. I was just there for lunch, yeah. <laughs> You bring up the word community, and, and that's something that seems to be a through line, not just with a lot of the people I talk with on this podcast, but with your business. Apparently very important to, to build a community, not just of your users, of your customers, but also be a part of this community here as well. Tell me about why community is so important. So I think one of the experiments... There's many sort of experiments with Bantam tools. You know, can we make a machine that is very, very powerful in a tidy little space that still and still have it be affordable? That's a big challenge. And then I think one of the other experiments is can we do it in a place that's not a ginormous city? And it's working out really well. In Brooklyn, you could expect to have like maybe a studio apartment, and for that amount of money, you can have a mortgage in Peekskill and a regard for your dog. So it's like. It's pretty awesome. Like, just I think a lot of people out of the city are like, but I might miss the city. And like, if you actually do, it's like, okay, it's an hour on the train, not a big deal. Go to a show or whatever. But in terms of the community here, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're in the mix. We're, we, I try and get involved as much as possible. I have a project I, I run called Peak Skill Art Grants, where every once in a while, I get when I have some time, we we run a grant program to get artists what they need to do something wonderful, and then. I, bunch of other stuff but trying to just be in the mix be helpful and then community is one of those things where the more you can you can be helpful the the, the tighter the the network is and a lot of problems get solved that way yeah and i mean you know speaking of that like i, I was able to tour your facility and you have a team down there clearly a, a close-knit group 
which is something you really don't see anymore. I mean, especially in the world of manufacturing, if it's a manufacturing facility, it's a few people and a bunch of robots. To be down there and to see these people working together and really the vibe was was something completely different than any other working environment I've been in. Could you speak a little to that? You know, when I was growing up, you go on, on factory tours and there are factories everywhere. One of my favorite things to do as a kid. And, you know, I love shop class. That was my favorite thing. Cool. And, uh, but these days we don't have shop class and a lot of those factories don't exist anymore. And I think when people think about factories, they think about some dismal place of repetitive tasks and it's not a very inspiring image. But um, here at Benton Tools, we've got this awesome team of really smart people who take pride in their work. And that's the way it has to be because we make machines that have just an absurd amount of precision. And to do that, it doesn't happen without without caring, right? Like it doesn't work if, if, you don't, if, if the, our team assembling it. It has to be made that way with intention and integrity. So we've got an assembly team, we've got a machining team, we've got a software team, we've got an engineering team, we've got a marketing team. To, to make a product, you end up sort of accumulating quite a, quite a great cast of characters. <laughs> I so it's, it's, a, it's a good mix. I bet. And, and so it's that sort of human element that would make your products preferable to ones that were made on an assembly line. I mean, technically we have an assembly line. You know, I think a lot of people assume that manufacturing is like something like unskilled labor. That's, that's not us. We're like every one oh, of our I, team members I was, is skilled. I was down there. I can speak to you. Yeah. These people know what they're doing. Yeah. We're right next to the train. That's the train going by. Ah, yes. Natural environment sounds going. Absolutely. It didn't honk its horn this time, which is nice. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think we're in an interesting moment right now because, you know, I think we've gotten really accustomed to things being made elsewhere and brought here and being able to buy it super affordably at the cost of, of low wages somewhere else. And with the trade wars, with the tariffs, with the supply chain disaster that we're still in the thick of and sure. chip shortage and just travel just being able to ship things with absurd long lead times and you know we and things sit, sitting on boats for a really long time it's an it's an interesting moment where we have a we, we have a good opportunity to re-engage with our connection to the things that we use and buy and and, and touch yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're recording this in the late spring of 2022, and the past few years must have thrown you many curveballs. What has that journey sort of been? How have you dealt with those setbacks? Some of the things that have come out of the pandemic that are interesting is we're seeing more companies need to take more responsibility for the products that they make. You know, we had the problem even pre-pandemic of we would send off prototypes to be made by other people and it could take six weeks we'd, and then at the end of six weeks we'd find out like that they were just like haven't gotten to it yet it'll probably be another six weeks and then we're like okay this, this is a three-month time frame sure. to get a prototype back and we know there's going to be problems and we're going to want to do it again so then you start extrapolating and then you get like only a couple iterations a year yeah so we've got this nice machine the bantam tools desktop cnc milling machine that Companies and innovators, inventors and educators, we, 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 our customers we generally refer, refer to as skill builders and world changers, can use it and route around all that infrastructure, iterate more, because when you have it on your desktop and you take the time to learn how to use it, you then can like make it, make your prototype, and if it's not right, you can make it again that day. 
which is really different from having to wait three or six months or weeks to, to be able to get an iteration. When you can iterate really quickly, you're like your mind stays on it, you've forgotten about it, and you can chug through and build better products. So with all the challenges, we've actually got a, a really neat thing that helps people in these challenging times. Well, uh, let's talk about your product. I mean, obviously it's something you believe in very much. You truly believe in its ability to help people do what they want to do and achieve great things. Tell me about the product and tell me how people have been using it. Sure. So it turns out like my life is dedicated to empowering people to, to do wonderful things. So did that as a school teacher, did that at MakerBot, my previous company, and now at Denim Tools doing the same thing. One of the nice things about starting with 3D printing was that, you know, it gets people up and running with plastic prototyping parts. And one of the cool things about what we do now at Bantam Tools is with the Bantam Tools desktop CNC milling machine, you can make all sorts of kinds of parts, plastic as well as aluminum, that gets you into this new space of being able to make metal parts. The whole idea is it's, uh, you know, if you've heard of 3D printing, 3D printing builds things up layer by layer. Uh, a CNC milling machine, you start with a block of material and it cuts material away until your part's left. And you end up with your part and then a bunch of you know, aluminum chips inside your machine that you vacuum up and recycle. That's the basic idea, it's just, it, you know, it gives us people this ability to make things out of metal. So if you're, in, you know, if you're imagining something that you want to exist, whether it's a bike part, an enclosure, some sort of a, a what, you know, whatever invention or innovation you've got, or, or, or in some cases, like if you've got a classic car and they don't make parts for those anymore, you, you can just make them, or if you're, a motorcyclist and you put your bike down sideways and you break some pegs, not a big deal to machine up some new pegs. It'll end up being much cheaper and faster and then they'll be yours if you even, if you want to make them special in some way you can change sure, it out. Sure. So yes, yeah, so the, the, the journey to Bantam Tools started with your work with the MakerBot in California. Yeah. So take us back to there. How did it all get started, your journey in the world of manufacturing and fabrication? Let's see. So I was a school teacher, and I got involved with video blogging back before YouTube. And I started teaching my students with video because I found that when they watched a video of me teaching them, I didn't have to repeat myself, which is cool. And then I started publishing that to the Internet. And then I ended up working for Make Magazine. This is when I was in Seattle. And, um, and when magazines existed. Right? <laughs> I know, right? It's still around, but yeah, what, this is back in like yeah. 2004, 2005. Sure. And then made a video podcast for them, one of the first you know, how-to tutorial video series. And uh, next thing I know, I'd moved to New York. And the thing that you don't have in the city is a workshop. So I ended up gathering a group of the most, the coolest hardware hackers on the planet in New York City. And we formed a collective called NYC Resistor in Brooklyn, which is still around. And a couple of folks from there and I started making 3D printers. Next thing you know, we were starting a company, you know, make some 3D printers on the side and our orders were taken off. And so we, we, we grew that business really fast. Sold that company in 2013 when it was 600 employees and we had about half a million square feet in Industry City of manufacturing space. And then um, Bantam Tools started in California in 2013. A friend of mine started it and um, I was able to buy it and move it here and now we're here cranking stuff out in the in, in beautiful Peekskill, New York. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about the nuts and bolts 
no pun intended, of, uh, of your, your organization. Now, um, how big is your, the, the manufacturing space and how many people work there? We're at about 35 people and we have total, right now we probably use up about 15,000 square feet. I was able to get these four properties on the, in the waterfront of Peekskill back in the day and fix them all up. It always takes longer for those things, so we're happy that we got a roof over our heads. And um, yeah, we've got office space, and then we've got assembly space, and then machining space, and it all works together to, to be a company. What are the, uh, the next steps for Bantam Tools? you have plans for expansion? Anything exciting on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the exciting thing about Bantam Tools, one of the, the primary mission, like, is to explore the frontier and have a place that we can all look forward to coming to work and work with smart people that inspire us. So the outcome of that is we make products that we hope inspire others and empower them to do the, you know, the work of tomorrow. The things that you're gonna see for us, so we just did an experiment in education where we launched the Bantam Tools Desktop CNC 4th Axis. So uh, normally uh, a CNC milling machine will move an X, Y, and Z. Cartesian coordinate system, left, right, forward, back, and up and down. And um, we added a fourth axis, which means that the part can actually rotate as well. So you, it can turn and flip and move. And um, we launched an educational component with that, where you go through a bunch of videos, you read a bunch of documentation, and you go through a process of learning how to upgrade your skills to incorporate the fourth axis. And we did that because we, when we look, went looking for educational infrastructure, people wanted to learn how to do this, it was almost nothing. So we were like, okay, for people to be successful, we have to build the scaffolding to get them where they need to be. So that has gone really well and I'm really pleased with it. So I'm looking forward to exploring, you know, finding ways of, of helping people who are not necessarily machinists and helping them climb the scaffolding up to the future of, of, of machining and making parts out of metal. And it's a challenge. Um, CNC stands for Computer Numerical Control. It's a term from 1958 when they first hooked up a computer to a milling machine, one of the first applications of computers. And they created G-code, which is the coding language of CNC machines, which is a pretty basic coding language that is still in use today. So the same language from those machines interface from the 50s. Yeah. Wow. When people get involved, there's definitely a learning curve. So our frontier is to help people get up that mountain and get the good view from the top as, a, as, as an experienced machinist making parts for whatever they need. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people talk about bringing industry, bringing manufacturing back and, and the challenges involved in that. And it, it seems like not only are you sort of a part of that movement, but you're helping other people to become a part of that movement. Yeah, it has never been a better time to be a creative explorer in the world. If you want to manifest something, you know, 20 years ago, you had to like go make friends with somebody who had a factory or, or go talk to somebody and sell your idea. And now you can use the tools are accessible, they're friendly, they're affordable, and you can, you can make stuff happen. I think one of the biggest challenges is a cultural one. So, you know, I'm probably the last generation that grew up going to shop class. There's still a couple of them here and there, but it's not like, you know, when I was growing up, it was a totally normal thing to go to wood shop and metal shop, make stuff. And 
you know, starting in the late 80s, that started to decline. By the 90s, you know, there was some legislation that made that, started to make that disappear. And by 2001, it's essentially gone. And part of that was in the early 90s, there was some legislation that basically said, if you're not good at school, go into manufacturing or the trades. And, you know, the, the kids like me who went to auto shop were just made to be like, yeah, 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 hopefully you'll be useful in some way. And, and in reality, you know, the kind of stuff that you learn in wood shop and metal shop and auto shop, that's the kind of stuff that they teach at MIT. Yeah. So we, if we can find a way to tell more stories, and this is really your job, so I'm putting the future of manufacturing in your hands as a journalist. <laughs> if we can tell more stories about manufacturing and sort of show open the window to folks so that they can understand the satisfaction the delight the awesome chemicals that get released in your brain when you fix something or you manufacture something and you see something you've made in the world i think that that's probably the most important thing for changing our culture and embracing manufacturing in america well, great. I think that that is a, a wonderful point to end our conversation on. Uh, Ms. Pettis, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Hey, it's a pleasure. Anytime. River Talk is a production of River Towns Media, publishers of the River Journal and River Journal North. For more information, check out riverjournalonline.com slash rivertalk. Do you know someone from the area who would make a great guest on our show? Let us know at rivertalk at rivertownsmedia.com. River Talk is executive produced by Alan Begun and Bruce Apar of River Towns Media. I'm Christian Larson, and I'll see you next time.